it is a gift from Pastor Vara. It is an Indian uh, vest, and I appreciate it very much. And he's dressed in his Indian clothes this evening, and he's going to come around and take a few minutes uh, and tell us just a little bit about his work and open us up in the first uh, opening prayer. And then after that, uh, Brother Dale, you can lead us in the first song. Greetings to all. I come from the land of India, and India is a population of 1.4 billion people with 29 state, 800 dialects that speak. I speak English, Hindi, and Telugu. I never, I'm a son of a pastor, and my wife is also a daughter of a pastor. I never wanted to become a pastor. She never wanted to marry a pastor. And guess what? In 2009, God calls me to the ministry. I resign and step, on, step into the ministry, go to Crown College, and go back and start planning churches. My wife, initially she was shocked, but eventually she knew what her mother told. The longer you run from God, the sooner you go to be God is going to call you into the ministry. It didn't take long that we were in the ministry in seven years after our marriage. Well, India has so many superstitious grounds. They believe in karma. Uh, they believe in reincarnation. Uh, India has uh, a majority of the population is Hinduism, 80%. And I want to tell you, um, Christianity is very little, but I want to promise you that Christianity is growing. It's not in the statistics shown, but it is growing because of your prayers, because of the missionaries, uh, because of the prayer warriors, because of the preachers, because of the teachers and the Bible colleges, uh, the kind of ministries. The way it is going because of our grandparents, our parents, they prayed on knees, fasted and wept and shed tears for souls to be saved. I'm a third generation Christian today, but I stand here with conviction that people need to be prayed for. We have missionaries here from several places, from North America, Central America, South America, Europe, Africa. Asia and islands of the sea. But when you look at the missionaries, don't pity them. I would ask you to envy them because they are where death and life, sin and grace, heaven and health converge. The mission, the mission of the church is missions. The purpose of the church is missions. And that's why God established church. And here we are. Today, all the singing, all the ministries we had, all the preaching we had, it has just really revived me to see the missionaries in a different perspective. We need to love God more. We need to love Christ more. Amen. Not sing about it, not talk about it, not teach about it, not preach about it, but love Christ the more. When was the last time he said, I love you, God? You know, the best way to say is, I love you too. We love God because he first loved us. We have ministries back there. We reach men. We teach men. My wife teaches women. We have youth ministries. We have teen and children. Um, many of the times, they don't come into the churches. We, when we invite them, they know what we are for. You are here to convert. But we are not here to convert. We are here to tell you that there is a life after death. There is judgment after death. You got to see your God. You got to see your creator. There is heaven and hell. 
We are here to help you. The same grace which we had that we came from death into life. So we call our call the young unbelievers into a into a gathering, like a social gathering. We won't do, we don't want to preach, we won't teach Bible, we won't sing, but we're going to sit with them, help them, understand them, to see their goal, and become friends with them as we journey along with them. You know, God gives us an open door to uh, witness Christ to them. And then we have BBS, Vacation Bible School. Recently we had an in the month of May, 300 people came. Guess what? 50% of those people were Hindus and Muslims. They would never come. But since we promoted it as a summer camp, children came in. They learned the Bible lessons. They learned the songs. They learned about Jesus. They began to talk about Jesus. Some of the children now attend our Sunday school. I'm telling you, if we have the heart, the door is getting closed in India. Our current politician, the Prime Minister of India, He's trying to close all doors of Christianity. He's trying to close everything where the word Christian is there. He's trying to remove it from schools, colleges, hospitals. But guess what? Wherever persecution is there, history has witnesses again and again that the church is growing. Yeah. Believers are being added. You know why we were sent to jail for preaching the gospel? When we were sent to prison, there we preached the gospel to all those prisoners there. When this took us to court, we preach the gospel to the lawyers and to the judge. Wherever they take us, nothing will do except preaching Christ and lifting Jesus higher because he has the magnificence to attract sinners unto him so that he can save them. That's why he came. Let this mind be also in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're trying to raise men who can teach other men, able and faithful men that they will teach others also. Every Tuesday, five o'clock, my men come into the church. We pray on kneel down. We fast. We pray. We study the Bible. The men who don't come and get into their houses early in the morning and try to bring them. And you know, God is doing wonders. Wonders in the land of India. But persecution is rising. The state of Manipur was closed for four months. The politicians, the authorities were supposed to help them they were the persons who were trying to attack them, attack 4,500 plus churches, killed 30 pastors, women and children. They abused, raped, and murdered them for the sake of Christ. They were trying to take down every, everything which they have, very little. 80% of the resources are held by the rich people of India. And whatever little is there, they want to, they want to take it away so that if you want them, if you want those, then deny Christ and accept Hindus. If Christ be God and he died for me, no sacrifice greater than anything. And as Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So be steadfast, immobile, and always abounding in the word of God the Lord. Because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The mark of a great church is not in its seating capacity, but in its sending capacity. The world is the field and the field is the world. And I want to be where I can be most used for the extension of his kingdom. Would you pray for me? Shall we all pray and look to God in prayer? Father, I praise you and thank you, Lord, for this wonderful GPA camp meeting you've given us. All the missionaries who have come from the different places, Lord. Lord, I pray that you're going to anoint them, empower them, and the word which they've already received, and the word which they're going to receive today again, 
As Brother Joe Arthur is going to come and preach to us. Help us, Lord. Anoint us with thy power. Lord, give us a new vision, new perspective, new way of looking at things that we might be able to do all that is necessary. But before that, help us, Lord, to love you more. It is not about eloquence. It is not about oratory. It is not about our talents. It is not about accomplishment. It is not what we know. All it matters is how much we are able to submissive to you. How much we can humble. How much we can embrace the people all around us. How much we can show love and compassion. That they may be able to see Christ in us. Christ formed in us. That we might be a mighty channel and instruments in thy kingdom Lord. I pray for the choir as they come and sing. I pray for the preacher as he comes and preaches. Lord minister to us in a magnificent and wonderful and powerful way once again. I commit this into the loving hands in Jesus precious mighty name I pray. Amen, amen. and amen. I have found a friend in Jesus, he's everything to me. He's a fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He's the love of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow he's my comfort, in trouble he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He all my griefs has taken and all my sorrows borne. In temptation he's my strong and mighty time. I have all for him forsaken and all my idols torn. From my heart and now he keeps me by his power. Though all the world forsake me and Satan tempt me sore, through Jesus I shall safely reach the goal. He's a lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here. While I live by faith and do his blessed will. A wall of fire about me, I'm nothing out of fear. With this manna heat, my hungry soul shall fill. Then sweeping up to glory to see his blessed face. Where rivers of delight shall ever roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. We've enjoyed having Brother Joe Arthur with us all these many years. Amen. And uh, I'll tell you, it's just been great. It was, what did you say, 1997? The first time that he came up here. And I remember, I remember that well. And uh, I can remember the times that the Lord started to deal with me. Specifically, if you remember us here, 
we were building this building, and we were meeting over there in the fellowship hall. We put all the pews in there, and we're doing all that. And uh, I remember one night that, boy, you were preaching. You were preaching on uh, being on the rock. I can't remember the whole sermon, but I remember you were saying something about a Chevrolet and being on the rock and all that kind of stuff. But I remember that night in my heart, the Lord was saying, it's now or never. You got to preach or you might as well just quit. You might as well just pack it up. And uh, I'll tell you, it took me a little bit, but still I surrendered to preach. And I'm thankful for Brother Joe and what he means to me, to our family, to our church. And he's going to come and open up the word of God and preach to us this evening. A wonderful introduction. I'm going to hear another one of them. Most of the time they say, here's Joe. But anyway, the Lord is good. Revelation chapter number one. And I'm going to give you a quick little verse and a vitamin and a little punch. And I'll hack three times. And uh, then I want to hear some music. And then I want to hear my friend, Brother Ronnie Barefield from the United States of America. Down there in a place called Mississippi, where the squirrel went to church. Amen. <laughs> and uh, and I, I love Brother Ronnie. We've been with him many, many times. And, and Brother Billy, it's good to see you. And, and you'll know what I'm talking about. When somebody asks you to come and preach for them, that's an honor. And they ask you to come back again, that's an honor. But when they ask you like 20-some times in a row, that's, I, I, that's, that, that humbles me. And I, I thank you so much. And you've been good to me, been good to our family. And Julie sends her love. We are speaking again. And uh, <laughs> she does send her love. And I just, I love God's people. Those 12 weeks that I was out of commission last year, and it was probably the Worst 12 weeks of my life, and I'll tell you what I miss the most. I miss the fellowship with my friends and being in the meetings. I really missed it, and I'm glad we're going to a country where we'll never say goodbye. I think that's all I do is say goodbye to people, but I'm glad one day Jesus is coming, and what a day that's going to be. And I'm so honored that we're almost at that goal and uh, we'll, we'll reach that goal before this night is over. Are we still online? Are we still worldwide? Hello, world. I've always wanted to do that. And, uh, but I believe we'll reach that goal before tonight. And we thank the Lord for his goodness. How many of y'all excited about Brother Ronnie being here? I just love him so very much. A lot about Ronnie that I love. And uh, I know this. As long as Ronnie Barfield is alive and well, I won't be the craziest preacher in America. But I love his spirit. You know, I don't care how much you know about the Bible, how clean you live, how many convictions you got, whatever. If you're not nice to people, I don't want to hear none of it. And I believe if your Christianity is real, it'll affect the way you treat people. Now, you husbands ought to say amen right there because your wife heard that. But I believe real Christianity affects the way we treat others. Revelation chapter number 1. We're going to begin reading tonight in verse number 5. And from Jesus Christ. If that was the only 
phrase in that one verse, that'd be enough to put us on shouting ground. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins and his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, and all of God's people said, Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Come down, if you will, tonight to verse number 18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Three times in this revelation of Jesus Christ, John says, Amen. Three times, Amen. And I call Revelation chapter number one, God's Amen Corner. And I'm glad when you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, he's worthy of an amen. I've got a friend of mine that lives way, way up north. This is really not north. This is almost north. But way, way up north where they act real weird, you know, way up there. Uh, you know, we'll say, amen, amen. Or, but my friend up there, he says, can a brother get an amen? How about every other point he'll say, can a brother get an amen? Another point, can a brother get an amen? And we were together not long ago in one of them huge churches. And over on the side, they had a whole section of people that have hearing impairment. And they have a precious lady and her husband that works with those and interprets that. I preached so fast one night. The next night they had arthritis. They couldn't even move their hands. But one night they got called away. And my friend did not realize that uh, it was the hearing impaired section. And because uh, there was no interpreter that night, they were they were le running late, and so man, he's in the white heat of preaching, three or four hacks, and he likes to walk around and get in people's face when he preaches, and you go, can a brother get an amen? Well, he walked over there to that section, old boy in the front row with his Bible grinning at him, and my buddy said, ain't that right? God just stared at him. He said, I mean, ain't that good preaching? Now, you're not much of a preacher if you got to brag on your own preaching. Say amen right there. And he got just looked at him. He said, come on, come on. Can a brother get an amen? Say amen, my brother. Can a brother get an amen? 
And finally, the pastor says, hey, you're in the deaf section. He can't hear nothing you say. And then I had to run my mouth and said, he don't want to say amen. But every time I read this passage, Brother Billy, I'm, I'm really reminded that there are some things. Man, it's worth saying amen. Can a brother get an amen? And when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he is worthy of an amen. In this passage tonight, he says amen to the certified Christ. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. He is not a figment of our imagination. He is not the star in a fairy tale story. Ladies and gentlemen, he's the certified Christ. He is in a class all by himself because it says in verse 5, Jesus, Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, who is the first begotten of the dead, who is the prince of the kings of the earth. And I just want to say tonight, there ain't nobody like him. His name is above every name. He's higher than the highest. He's greater than the greatest. And I want to just say amen to that. Verse number five, he is also the compassionate Christ. For it says that he loved us. And I believe the word in, the, in that phrase that thrills me is more than just the word love, but it's us. And do you realize who them uses are? Start in Genesis chapter three and come to, to the present hour in which we live. That us, that's a bunch of bad, wicked, ungodly people. Liars, thieves, murderers, thugs, you name it, that's us. But aren't you glad for us, bunch of uses that were lost and undone with that God or his son? He loved us. I don't understand how a sovereign, holy, Righteous God could love us, but I'm glad that he did. He looked beyond our fault and saw our need. And I love what Dottie Rambo said about that. If that isn't love, the ocean is dry. And there's no stars in the sky. And the sparrow can't fly. If that isn't love, then, there, then heaven's even a myth. Because there's no feeling like this if that isn't love. Aren't you glad tonight that he is the compassionate Christ? He loved us. And I want to say, amen. Verse number five, he is also the cleansing Christ. For it says not only that he loved us, but he washed us. And I love the way the Holy Spirit words it in verse 5. He did not wash us with the water of a river or a baptistry or a lake or a bubbly, a fountain. No, he washed us from our sins in his own blood. 
not the blood of the bull or the goad, but the blood of God's own Son, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. I get amazed at what preachers and religious circles argue about. And most of the things they argue about and break fellowship about and split hairs about uh, to me are minuscule. They're minute in the light of eternity. Whether you have hair on your chin or hair on your head, I just want some. Whether you wear white shirts or pink shirts, just make sure you got one on. Whether you drive a Ford or a Chevrolet or even brave enough to drive a Dodge, more power to you. Whether you have drums in your church or no drums in your church, or you clap or you don't clap, I could give a rip tater chip but I will stand on my last leg, I will clench my last fist, and I will yell with my last ounce of ebony strength. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus our merits, our good works, our social standing, our political clout, our personalities, our talents, and our abilities could not remove sin from us. But aren't you glad the certified Christ and the compassionate Christ is the cleansing Christ and he washed us from our sins and his own blood. And I can report to you tonight without any reservation that the blood has never lost its power and it's still the blood that saves from sin. Verse number five, he is also the converting Christ because not only unto him that loved us and washed us, but thank God made us. He said in verse number five, he made us kings and priests. Notice that little word, us. I can't hardly fathom that he could love us in spite of us and then wash us from our old stinking dirty sins. But look what else he did with us. He made us. He made something out of us. Paul has already said in his epistles, he made us nigh and he made us righteous and he made us partakers of the divine nature. But oh, here John said through the Holy Ghost, he made us, us, kings and priests. A king is known for his authority. And can I remind you tonight, there is authority in the body of Christ. We're not some ragtag army barely making it in, limping on our last leg. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us and there's power in the name of Jesus and there's power in the Holy Spirit and there's power in the Lord Jesus Christ and there's power in the word of God. I'm glad he gave us some power. He gave us some authority when he made us. But boy, I read that last analogy. He made us kings and priests. Wow, you're looking at priest Jojo. Priest. 
What is a priest known for? Well, if a king is known for authority, then a priest is known for his access. For it is the high priest and the high priest alone on the day of atonement that could take the blood of the sacrifice and not stand at the outer court, not stand in the inner court, not stand in the holy place, but stand in that 15 by 15, holy of holies, before the ark of the covenant, before the mercy seat, between the cherubims, and apply that blood and the Shekinah cloud of God would come. And only that priest could get that close to God in the Old Testament. But when Jesus shouted at bloody Calvary, that veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom and now every single person who realizes they are a sinner and they cast themselves at the mercy of God and they're saved by the grace of God and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, you don't have to do more than just get out of God and approach God. You can step into the very presence of God because I believe Calvary gives us the priesthood of the believer. I'm glad you can pray for me. I'm glad I can pray for you but I'm glad you can call on God and I'm glad I can call on God. We have access to the converting Christ. And I want to say amen to that. And just when I thought it couldn't get any better he is not only the certified Christ, the compassionate Christ, the cleansing Christ, the converting Christ. Verse seven said he's the coming Christ. Woo! Behold, he cometh with clouds. And boy, that's a little phrase in verse seven. Brother Michael, that thrills me. It says, they which pierced him shall see him. And according to what I read when Jesus got out of that grave and he appeared to those disciples in that upper room, the Bible said he showed him his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And there was one by the name of Thomas being a forerunner of independent fundamental King James literature, uh, Schofield, Toten, Baptist only, was not there when Jesus came. They told him about it. He said, I'm not going to believe it till I thrust my hand in the prints of the nails. In eight days, the number of new beginning, Jesus walks in that room and Thomas sees him and Jesus says, reach here, son. Put it right here. I don't believe he ever got that far. He saw him and fell on his knees and said, my Lord and my God, and then Jesus tells him something that ought to make a Presbyterian want to get sprinkled again. He said, Thomas, you have believed because you have seen. He said, but blessed are they that have not seen, yet they believed. I believe that the wounds and the marks and the scars of Calvary are still in the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ because later on, 
on in the book of the Revelation, John looks and he sees the lamb having been slain from the foundation of the world. Even the prophet said, they'll look on him whom they've perished and they'll ask, where did you get these wounds? And I believe when Jesus comes, we'll see the wounds and the marks of Calvary, even in the glorified body of the glorified Lamb of God. And I believe they're there, Brother Micah, for two reasons. Number one, the sinner will have no excuse. He will not be able to point his accusing finger in the face of the Lamb of God and say, you didn't love me and you didn't die for me. There is no excuse. And I believe they're there for the Christians. So every time we go by the throne, there'll be no boasting and there'll be no bragging how we got there, how good we lived, how much we served the Lord. We'll see them. And it is an eternal reminder. We're there because of the cross. We're there because of him. We're there because he loved us and washed us and made us. Man, I'm getting, I like this. And we are going to see him. Hallelujah, what a day that's going to be. For he is the coming Christ. He cometh with clouds. You say, why is he going to come with clouds? Because in Acts 1, when he ascended back, those two men in white apparel said to those disciples, ye men of Galilee, this same Jesus that's taken from you will come in like manner. That means he's coming back like he went back. He went back in the body and he's coming back in the body. He went away literally, he's coming back literally. He went away physically, he's coming back physically. He went away with a shout and he's coming back with a shout. There were some people with him when he went back and there'll be a bunch with him when he comes back. And he went back on a cloud and he's coming back on a cloud and this may be the very day that Jesus Christ comes back for you and for me. He is the coming Christ. And just when I thought it couldn't get any better, I want to say amen to that. And the Holy Ghost said, I got one more. He's not only the certified Christ, the compassionate Christ, the cleansing Christ, the converting Christ, the coming Christ, but he is the conquering Christ. Woo! Because he said, I'm he that liveth. And I was dead. But I'm alive <laughs> forevermore. And I have the keys to death and hell. A couple of weeks ago I was preaching in I was preaching in the state of confusion. North Carolina. And I'm at the Greensboro Airport. My wife calls and She's supposed to meet me at a certain city and then my assistant calls and one of our good members, I mean one of them Sunday morning, Sunday night, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, there, suddenly taken out, passed away and gone to glory and so the whole schedule gets interrupted and then we get a call that, you know, Julie's got to go I check on her mom and dad. So to make a long story short, I rearranged my flight. She went, she went one way, I went the other. Joe went one way, and I went the other. And Joanna went one way, and I went the other. And I landed. And one of our staff members picked me up. And uh, he takes me to my house because I got to go 
to this house where this people are grieving. I got to be pastor. And we pull up in the driveway and I look at him and I say, man, I don't have a key. And my garage door panel is not working. So I'm locked out of my own house. Worse than that, I have four vehicles in three garages and I don't even have a car to drive because the keys is in the house and I can't get in the house. My toothbrush is in the house. What little comb I have was in the house. My underwear was in the house. My clean clothes was in the house. And here I am at my own home. I can't sleep in my bed, can't eat at my table, can't drink my Gatorade, can't get my new drawers, can't get my toothpaste, can't get my toothbrush, can't even drive a car. So I wear the same clothes to church I'd worn the day before. I slept in the basement of one of my staff members' house and bummed a ride all weekend. Then Sunday night, when, it, when the whole drama is, is over, Julie calls. Hey, something just dawned on me. Joanna's neighbor is one of our deacons that's been at our church for ever and ever. She said, Kathy and Earl have a key to Joanna's car. And on the ring of her car keys is a key to our house. You can get in and change clothes and get you something to eat and have somewhere to sleep and have somewhere to drive. I said, thanks for coming up with that novel idea. She said, well, it just dawned on me. And I said, I understand, but I thought about it. All that time, I didn't have nowhere to sleep on my own. I didn't change my clothes, couldn't drive my car. And, and the only reason why it was available, it was there. It's been bought and paid for, but I didn't get to enjoy it because I didn't have no keys. Ladies and gentlemen, heaven's bought and paid for. Salvation's bought and paid for. Eternal life and blessed assurance and peace and joy has been paid for. But we gotta have a key and there's only one that's got the key and his name is Jesus. He's the key man. And I just wanna say, amen, amen. So I'm gonna borrow one of my friend's phrases. Jesus, the certified Christ. Can a brother get an amen? Jesus, the compassionate Christ. Can a brother get an amen? Jesus, the cleansing Christ, the converting Christ, the coming Christ, the conquering Christ. Can a brother get an amen? Well, I'm gonna give you one of my daddies. He'd pray, Lord, we need you tonight. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So let's just say amen to Jesus. Amen to Jesus. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for a few moments to brag on your Son and our Savior. We just want to say amen, amen, amen. Amen. I like the way that sounds. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Stand. Let's just have an invitation here for a moment. Derek's going to come. Daryl's getting the song ready. Stand. Go ahead. Stand up. <clears throat> Maybe you don't know Christ. 
Maybe you do not know what it means to know the conquering Savior, the cleansing Savior. You don't know any of these things about who Jesus Christ is. And we're going to give you the opportunity after a message like that uh, to accept Christ as your Savior. Dear Heavenly Father, use this invitation uh, for whatever you need to do in our hearts and lives tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As they sing, if you need to come tonight, you come. Come on up. We're going to take up an offering. Uh, everything that we give in these offerings are going to the Jubilee this week, so remember that as well. And right as the offering's done, we're going to get 
the Rochester family up again. What a blessing they were to us last night. Amen. And uh, just sounding great, uh, but also bringing it to us just with a heart that, man, you can tell. They love what they're singing about. We appreciate that. And Ben, introduce some of the new folks to us tonight. Make sure we know who they are. Amen. It's just been great to have them with us, and we praise the Lord for them. Willie, would you ask a blessing on the offering, please? to us, Father, just, I know it spoke to my heart, Father, just help us to take it out to the uh, community, Father, help us to win souls, uh, get a fire burning here, Father, in Nottingham, Father, now just uh, pray for the offering, Father, and bless the gift and the giver, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. It's 281, 281, everybody stand, you're already standing. <laughs> Brother Joe, please stand. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace in the mansions bright and blessed. Here prepare for us a place when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we verse onward to the prize before us soon his beauty will behold soon the pearly gates will open we shall tread on streets of gold when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Amen. Been a wonderful day, hasn't it? We've had some great preaching today. I, I was just brother Billy got up here and preached a little while ago, like there was a thousand people in here. Every preacher was wonderful, brother Cody. I just was thinking about how blessed we are to have all these wonderful preachers here in the same day, man. It's been—I don't know how many preachers we've had today, seven or eight, maybe. It's been good. I'm glad I'm redeemed, aren't y'all? Redeemed how I love to 
to proclaim Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Redeemed through His infinite mercy His child and forever I am Redeemed, redeemed Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Redeemed, redeemed His child and forever This is my daughter Lizzie, and um, I think the last time I introduced her here, I said she had a twin daughter, but she has a twin sister, uh, Lindsay. She's married now, living up in Indiana, and um, we got to see them about a week ago. But uh, my son over there on the end, JB, doing a good job on the bass, and I thank the Lord for him. And then uh, Josh Gordon, he was here with us last time we were here back in the spring. But uh, I was thinking earlier, Brother Ronnie, if we, I think we would have never known Josh Gordon if we didn't know Brother Ronnie Bearfield. Brother Ronnie Bear, Bearfield introduced us to Brother Steve Parrish, which is Josh's pastor, probably 15 years ago. And um, the last few years, we've become friends with Josh, and um, I asked him 
back last June to start praying about coming and helping us and uh, the Lord opened the, the door up that he could and he's been a huge blessing in our family and we're, we're thankful for him. I love his spirit. I love his energy. Um, he loves the Lord and I, he's going to sing the next song for us. seen the righteous man suffer and pain and it looked like the wicked would go free and in my frustration that just didn't seem right to me I asked you for sunshine but you'd send the rain And I'd cry for healing But only got pain But I know your love Will see me through Lord, I still trust you And I still trust you
old preacher man stood there in the pulpit. The church house was empty almost. His eyes filled with tears, his mind filled with memories of not so long ago. When the church house was full, not one pew was empty, the altar was stained with saints' tears. As he stands there this morning, it sounds out the warning, once again letting them know, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There's a race to be run. You can live as you please, but you must pay the cost. And the highway to heaven still goes by. old-fashioned, unwilling to change with the times. So they found other churches, more modern-day preachers who were willing to let things go by. But the old preacher stood for what he believed in and what he had preached for years. As he stands there this morning in a near empty church house, his opening remarks are these words. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. The way is still straight. There's a race to be run. City he's preached of so long. Oh, but he's never seen such a great congregation all gathered to welcome him home. And he's never heard more beautiful singing that is coming from that heavenly band. He's preached his last sermon. He's carried his last burden. He's at rest in that heavenly land. He still wants to know that there's a heaven to
Amen. Great singing. Boy, just the Holy Spirit all over that. Praise the Lord for it. And uh, love all those songs. And that last one is just a real blessing. Well, Ronnie, you're going to come preach for us, right? Now, Ronnie, yeah, that's what you're told. We know a lot of folks that are the same folks, don't we, Ronnie? Yes, we, do. we do. And we, we drop those names every once in a while. But, you know, sometimes it don't matter who we know. They just want to know that we know Jesus, right? That's an inside joke between me and Ronnie, and we're going to enjoy it later. But anyway, Ronnie Bearfield is uh, just a blessing to us, a great preacher. Come around, open up the Word of God, and preach for us this evening. Thank you, Brother Michael. Amen. I had to apologize to Michael this afternoon that we were up here a couple of years ago, and my wife was with me. And, and uh, so we, we stayed an extra day, and Brother Michael uh, babysitted us that day. And... Uh, uh, took us down to Annapolis and uh, we got to see some stuff which was awesome and then uh, he took us to what would be one of the top maybe the top uh, uh, crab cake that what yeah crab cake places down in Maryland down there which is the top they say state you know in uh, in the world for yeah and so we went down there and I got some kind of sandwich and my wife did too. We, we were scared to get the, we'd never eat the crab cake before. I know I never had, brother, I'm sorry. And anyway, but since then I've eaten one. And I was eating one in Mississippi, down south Mississippi, actually with Brother Cody. And, and as I was eating that, my mind immediately went to Annapolis, Maryland, and me sitting there in that place eating a pastrami sandwich or something, whatever it was. And I, yeah, what a shame. And so um, I just I felt terrible about it. I felt terrible, and but uh, that's one of those things, you know. Life, boy, you know, you can miss things if you're not careful, and people trying to help you, and trying to just like, for instance, a little insight on um, Brother Gary and Sister Helen. Somebody may not know uh, back, you know, when that really not long ago. And one morning after they'd had a quick bite of breakfast and he was leaving, and Miss Helen said, now, Gary, you know what today is? And so, in actuality, Brother Gary didn't have a clue. He didn't, so, yeah, I know, I know what it is. I, I know what, and he left. He knew he'd be gone about all day, but he, I know what it is. So he gets gone, and he's thinking, what is today, what is today? And trying to figure it out. Well, he, he finally said, I don't know, but I better do something. So he called the uh, flower shop, and had them send her some flowers. Remember that, Helen? So uh, anyway, then, uh, so he feels better. But about lunch, he's still not convinced it's good. He thinks, I, I, I said, son, what is today? So he calls the candy shop. He knows the favorite candy she likes, and just so happens that's his favorite candy, too. So he orders some of that, and they deliver that. You remember that, sister? Okay. So before he goes home that afternoon, he's saying, I may not have done enough. I don't know. Joe, he said, I better go by. So he went by the a jewelry place. He knew that there, there was this, this uh, bracelet she'd been wanting. And so he even, he, he, bought, he bought that. So he comes home. He hands her that. She opens it up. She goes, oh, Gary, this is the one I've been wanting. Yeah, I know, he said. And, and Gary, I've, I've got these flowers and I got this candy. He said, well, honey, you know what today is? And she said, well, I know this. It's the greatest groundhog day I've ever had in my life. And so, anyway, 
Uh, you can ask them about that later if there's any truth to that whatsoever. But anyhow. Okay, Brother Joe, great job. Thank you, Brother Joe. I'm humbled to stand here uh, behind Brother Joe Arthur. He could have just took all the time for tonight, and, uh, but he's very gracious and limited in his time. And so thank you. I've, I've been able to room with him the last couple of days. And so if we do this again, I need to talk to you about that, Brother Gary. <laughs> anyway, but he got us a car. He has chauffeured me around, and I mean, you know, this is a story I will tell my grandchildren. Now, I miss Bo. They had to take Bo out. Okay. I, I miss Bo. I, I have a grandson named Bo. My oldest grandson, 15-year-old, is, is Bo. And uh, he, uh, let me just say to you, don't blink. Now, I got pictures here. When my bow was uh, maybe a little bigger than your bow, and I'm telling you, he'll be, you know, that age. And you parents and grandparents of teenagers know that's true. Uh, but anyway, thank you, Brother Joe, for that. And then it's good to see Brother Billy and them. We've known Brother Billy and them several years. They come to our church every year in our missions conference, at least up to this next year. They've come every year. And... Uh, as far as I know, they'll be back next year, and we'll, you know, continue that somewhat. But we love Billy and his family, and uh, they're just a real blessing. And, and then there are others here that we know. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. Uh, I know the GPA and, and Mercy Project, Army of 2000. We had our uh, share this afternoon. That was great. Thank you. I'm honored to be on the board. Thank you, Brother Gary, for that, and others here affiliated and associated with it. And so we're, we're glad for what God is doing. Brother Gary was with us again in our missions conference this past year. And uh, let me say to this church, thank you. Thank you for sharing your pastor. Now, you, you, you may not fully appreciate it as some of us do. Now, this man right here can tell you, Brother Joe Arthur can tell you the importance of a church sharing their pastor. He travels. He's in sometimes two, three meetings a week all over this country and uh, his church uh, is so gracious and generous to share him with many of us uh, he comes to our church every year and touches lives thousands of lives uh, and uh, the church derives benefit from that whether they know it or not whether they know it or not his church there in uh, the Atlanta area and he can he can tell you if you if you got questions about it well you know Brother Gary, and so thank you, church. My church has been very generous and gracious to me and let me travel and be in meetings and meet people like you, churches like yours, ministries like uh, what we have just addressed. So I, I want to say thank you. God bless you. And uh, I, I know Brother Gary feels blessed to have Brother Michael helping him and others here on the staff and all of that. So thank you. Uh, so much for all of that. The Rochesters, we've known them since Ben was about about this tall, and they've been coming. They've been coming to our church since back in the 80s, and we love and appreciate them. And of course, things change over the years, uh, but I'll tell you, there's Brent and Brady and Ben and Becky, and going in four different directions across this country, touching this country for the glory of God. And so thank God for the Rochesters. Now Becky is, of course, a Matthews now, but I'm just saying, uh, wow. 
And so I'm saying all of this to say all of this, and I have ulterior motives in it. Thanks for the good meals. We're leaving out in the morning. So thank you for all of these things that you've done. God bless you. Matthew 17, if you have your Bibles tonight. Matthew 17. And uh, <clears throat> I want to give you a thought tonight from this great chapter of God's Word. You are familiar with it. I will emphasize that statement in verse number 4 where Peter said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Amen. They were in a worship service. You know that. They were in a worship service. And Peter said, it is good for us to be here. Now it says in chapter 17, verse 1, after six days. Now, uh, I take it that that's after those days there in chapter 16 where they were at Caesarea Philippi. Jesus declared upon this rock, I will build my church. Amen. Well, after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, John his brother, James and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, or Elijah, talking with them. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and were sore afraid. Jesus came and touched them, said, Arise, be not afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. As they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Now I'm going to stop reading right there. And uh, those verses right there after that are significant and important with it. But I don't think we'll have time to develop all of this message tonight. So if I can just uh, get to this thought I want to give you. Uh, here, of course, the scene is the Mount of Transfiguration. Probably, as, as far as my perspective, may have very well taken place on Mount Hermon while the Lord is still there in Caesarea Philippi. Now, some say, no, it took place on Mount Nebo. And that would be where Moses viewed the promised land. Some have said that. Some say Mount Tabor, which is on the east side of the Jezreel Valley, about 11 miles west of the Sea of Galilee, not far from Nazareth. Well, we certainly would not argue about that, and different people have different ideas and opinions on that. But we know in chapter 16 he was at Mount Hermon. We know that. There's no evidence that they really relocated from there. We are told later on in chapter 17 that, that they, uh, they made their way uh, on down to uh, Capernaum, and but uh, uh, in that chapter 17, it says they had abode in Galilee. So that's all in Galilee, the north, uh, at least the northern part there. So, uh, so that's maybe not. Uh, I don't think this is worthy of arguing about, but but just to identify because uh, what uh, what what's going to make him say this, I think, has to do with uh, it's good to be here. 
has to do with the place where this takes place. If I were to say tonight when we leave here, it was good to be here, obviously, it'd be in reference to this place. I think we need to keep that in our minds and hearts and spirits and remind people of the importance, for instance, of this place. If that place was an important place, and it was, uh, why, why was it important? Well, of course, at the foot of Mount Hermon is where the Lord Jesus announced at Caesarea Philippi that he would build his church. Now, he had asked them, he said, now, who do men, by the way, who do men say that I am? And they, they gave him the answer. Some say, well, you know, we think, they think you're one of the prophets or you are uh, maybe John the Baptist. Well, who's, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, at one of his great moments, at one, now, Peter could be great in many ways. Peter could be great in failure. You know that. And that song that uh, Liz just sang for us, there reminds us that yeah he knew it all be failures don't you think when the Lord chose Simon Peter he knew Simon Peter would fail him but I'll tell you Simon Peter was also a great success in a lot of ways and those that's one of those occasions he said thou art the Christ the son of the living God the Lord Jesus blessed him right there on the spot blessed art thou Simon Barjona and so it's good he got it in when he did because in just a few verses Simon Peter's going to fail I mean, the very one the Lord blessed him, and just later in chapter 16, he's going to say, Peter, get thee behind me. Satan, get thee behind me. So, yeah, we can be that away. Uh, but what a place this is. Right there at, at Caesarea Philippi, at a place they actually tell us today when we go on our trips to the Holy Land, they call that big cave, Brother Joe, I know you've seen it, Brother Gary, others maybe if you've been to the Holy Land, and they call it the gates of hell. They say this place is a place where um, people believe, not just superstitious people. You, there are some, some pretty serious-minded Christian people that believe that literally that could be an entrance place into the very core of the earth for evil and demonic spirits. Now, I don't know. I'm just saying that's part of the legend of the day. We do know that it's in the area of Dan. We do know that it's the most pagan place uh, of all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba. Dan was a place that was associated with idol worship. And uh, without belaboring that point, let me just say that right there at the very gates of hell, right there at the nest, if you will, of idolatry uh, that had been associated with Israel through the years, the Lord makes the statement, and he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Wow. Would the, would the Lord Jesus draw attention to his church right under the nose of the devil? I think that's what he's doing. I think, he's, I think he is challenging the devil to say, devil, we are on the offensive. Gates are established structures. And so he said the gates will not prevail. Thank God down through the centuries because of ministries like we've tried to honor here today, GPA, Mercy Vessel, and the Army of 2000, other ministries that might even be represented here tonight. And through the work of the church of the living God, the gates of hell will be crashed and the gates of hell will not overcome. And in fact, tonight he reminded us 
that the keys are in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a conqueror. Hallelujah. 2,000 years later, we're still here. A lot of nations have come and gone over 2,000 years. There is not a government in place in the world today that was in place 2,000 years ago. But the church is in place all over the place. Hallelujah, if you will. And so thank God for the church, the, the place. Right there above that place is Mount Hermon. As you stand at the foot of it and you look up, and there it is. If that's the place where the Lord takes Peter, James, and John, and they ascend to that place. Not only the place is important, but the people that were there are important. Well, of course, none other than the Lord Jesus himself. He's the one to be worshipped, recognized, and honored. That's why Peter could say, Lord, it was good to be here. But there were other interesting people there. I mean, what about Moses? Boy, won't you look forward one day in the glory world to sit down with Moses and talk with Moses and tell us how it was, Moses. Uh, I read about it. Moses, what about this? Could we do that in heaven? I hope so. I hope so. So let me, let me entertain my imagination a little bit and think of what it would be like one day to sit down with Moses and talk with Moses. Let me sit down one day with Elijah and talk to Elijah. And uh, can you imagine being there? There they are, heroes of these Hebrews, heroes of these Israelites. And there they stand with the Savior, the Lord Jesus. What a moment. You know what made that, play, that, that day a good place to be there? It was the place, but it's also the people. Could I say to you, that's true about the church? It's not just the place, but we know this building is special. The church building where our church sits, where our church worships, that building is special to me. We built our new building 22, uh, 20 years ago. And it's, and it's still as fresh and new to me, Joe, as it was 20 years ago when I first went in there. What a, what a special place it is. But I'll tell you what really, really, really makes it special is Sunday morning when the saints gather. It's a totally different place then when the saints of God come in. Let's don't take each other for granted, okay? I mean, could you take Moses for granted? Surely not. Could you take Elijah for granted? I don't think so. Well, you surely cannot take Jesus for granted. And we need to make sure we don't take each other for granted in the house of God. I fussed at my people a little bit the other day. I don't like to fuss at them, but sometimes, you know, they're like children. And, you know, and I'm getting old now, and I'm old enough to fuss at them, I guess. I don't know. But I said, you know, some of you, some of you, you take each other for granted. You don't, you don't appreciate each other sometimes like you ought to. I said, I don't have the luxury of disliking any of you. Now, sometimes church members can get by with it. You know, well, I tell you what, I get so tired of him. I get so tired of her. I, she just, she, she's got a mouth on her. And, you know, when they tell me that, I say, well, I know it. I know it. But I'll tell you what, you know, she's here. She's faithful. She loves the Lord. And uh, I'll tell you, it's people of all kinds, sometimes successful, but a lot more uh, at failing that make up the body of Christ whom we need to learn to really if we if we have failed to do that to really love and appreciate each other I, I think we've got away from from really maybe maybe it, it's more than just a handshake on a Sunday 
you know, when we do fellowship time. But sometimes we need to stop long enough to look at each other in the eye and say, you know, I really do appreciate you. I really do. Have you done that lately? With, with, uh, what about your Sunday school teachers? What about your deacons? What about your pastoral staff? What about your leaders? Just what about one another? Some that may not be uh, as significant as some people by the way people judge each But we need to make sure that nobody in our church feels insignificant when it comes to the body of Christ. Amen. The people of God. Stay with me on this because I, I want to bring all this to a crescendo if we can before we close here tonight. So the place, the people, the prophecy. There is a prophecy here as they were talking with him. In fact, Luke tells us that they spake of his decease. They prophesied here and they said of his decease which he would accomplish in Jerusalem. Talking about his death obviously his burial and his resurrection. And so all of this combines to make, make it uh, no wonder Peter said what he said. So let me, let me, let's just look now at this, at, at this whole situation for a moment. And as we talk about the place, it certainly is an elevated place, is it not? It says in verse 1 that after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. Up into an high mountain. Now if it's Hermon, it's the highest. If it's Mount Hermon, it's the highest there in Israel. And so it is an elevated place. Could I say that about the house of God? What if we just said tonight we're talking about church? What if we just said tonight we're talking about going to church? We're talking about going to the house of God. Now, Brother Joe Arthur lives in church. I almost live in church. Some others, Brother Billy and him, others here, the Rochesters, different ones. And, and we're in church uh, more than we are out of church through meetings and conferences and things of that nature. But, uh, but so many church members, so many church members, maybe it's just a Sunday morning or maybe it's a Sunday night or maybe a Wednesday night. And of course, you've had conference and Jubilee this week and all that. But any time could I say, if you're enabled to come to a meeting like this or a time like this, that you have been brought to an elevated place. Whether geographic, geographically it's the highest place in the area or not does not matter. Spiritually, it is the highest place of your week. It is the highest place for you this week. And just as in this occasion, as the Lord takes these three and they go up into that high place, that elevated place. You know, we all need to get away from the rat race every once in a while. Uh, it's good to see uh, Brother Edwards this week. He's one of our missionaries as well. Good to see you, brother. I'm saying that we all need to get away from the rat race. We need to, we, we need to be able to come apart and come into that high place the house of God, where God's people are assembled, special people to us, where, where we have the word of God's going to be declared and it becomes a very uh, special place. You know, I can see even here possibly where uh, Peter, James, and John get to go with the Lord into this high, this elevated place. Could you imagine the other nine, actually the other eight, Judas being with them, of course, but these others, and being very, very, maybe even jealous, maybe even jealous of Peter, James, and John getting to go to that high place, that place above the rat race, so to speak. 
Um, the fact is, you, you can go. That's up to you. That's up to you. Uh, you've been selected by the Lord, by the way, to be here tonight, to be here on the Lord's day, to be here on these other occasions and opportunities to be in the house of God. Can you imagine uh, some of the other disciples kind of fussing about this, Joe? How come, how come they get to go? How come they always get to go? And you know, they did. There were other occasions. They went uh, at the house of Jairus when his daughter was raised. Of course, later on at Gethsemane, He's going to take Peter, James, and John. They're going to go a little further into the garden with him. So I, I don't know if you could call them his favorites. I, I don't know if that's the term that we ought to use. But we do know that out of those 12, he selected these three to, to go with him into some places that the others didn't go. Um, that's really, that's true in the church world too. Uh, thank God for the brother Joe Arthurs. But I'm glad not everybody's a Joe Arthur. Um, but uh, a brother Joe Arthur's a special, unique individual, is he not? And, and it's not the Joe Arthur show tonight, but I'm just using him as an example to say God has privileged him in a lot of ways. But sometimes these privileges carry with them great, great responsibilities. I'd like to say to you just about Peter, James, and John, then moving on, that though they were privileged, though they probably saw some things that the others did not see, firsthand, but sometimes there's a cost to privilege. And in fact, we know that James, right here, this James, is the first martyr of all of the apostles. Now, Stephen being the first martyr of the church, but James, according to Acts 12, was beheaded by Herod. The first who of the twelve. Oh, we know Judas has already hanged himself. So let's just take Judas and set him over here. And let's look at these other 11 here now. That are genuine, bona fide, certified. And then out of that 11, we take these three. And then out of these three stands Peter, James, and John. And there's James, who little did he know, standing on this, this sacred ground right here, that he would be the first of the Lord's apostles to give his life in such a violent way for the cause of Christ. There can be a cost to privilege. And so when you look at the Rochester, you see them singing, oh my, how God blesses them, how God's using them. You look at Brother Billy and his family and how they travel and boy, uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have that? And others here I could mention, others that you know about. But wait a minute, Peter and John, what about them? Well, they're the first two to go to prison for Jesus. Do you know that? Acts chapter number four. After the lame man is healed and the, and the crowds get angry and they arrest Peter and John and then they, they attack them for preaching the name of Jesus and they threaten them, the Bible says, and they tell them not to preach in that name anymore and then they release them. But only in the next chapter then you'll find where they are re-arrested, they are brought before them, they're threatened again Gamaliel had, had told him, said, look, y'all, you better be careful how you deal with this and these people in this movement because if God's in it, you can't stop it. And uh, you don't want to be going against God. So they listened to Gamaliel to a certain point, but you know what they did before they released them? They beat them. Acts chapter 5, I believe it's verse number 40, and it says they were beaten. Who, who was it? These three right here. These three that have, that have had this great 
privilege. So privilege sometimes brings with it a cost. Oh, but the blessing. Thank God they were willing to, uh, to go, go through what they went through. And uh, they're at an elevated place. It's, of course, an enlightened place. It's an enlightened place. In verse number two, uh, you're familiar with this. If we could just look briefly at that. The Bible says that the Lord was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. Wow, what a moment. Luke gives a description of it. Mark gives a description. Maybe John, and they try to describe this moment. Later on, Peter talked about it when he wrote the book of 2 Peter in chapter 2. And he said this way, he said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It's as though they looked at him as though he were a king, a king of glory. Wow, you're talking about, they see Jesus right here in a way they have never seen Jesus before. And they're never going to see anything similar to that anymore until John sees him in Revelation chapter 1 where our preacher read to us tonight. Now here's the thing about uh, the, the place that's met. You're going to see some things about Jesus in the house of God like you're not going to see anywhere else in this world. Through the expounding of the scriptures, through being with God's people, I'll tell you, you'll see things about Jesus that if you're not a part of that, you're not going to see. There's a world of darkness out there tonight that doesn't know a whole lot about Jesus. And shame on them because there's so much to be known about him when you'll come to that elevated place where you can get away from the rat race and you can focus on the Lord Jesus himself for just a little while. We need that. Now, I don't know if the other eight needed this, but I know apparently Peter, James, and John needed this. And so they're, they're getting this. What a benefit to see him in a way. They had never seen him before. Peter never forgot that moment. He never forgot that in all of his ups and downs which are yet to come, but he's not going to forget that. I thank God for things that I have seen in the house of God that enlightened me about the Lord Jesus. I saw a shining about him. Well, that's what it says right here, that he was transfigured. In other words, what was on the inside of him was revealed on the outside. Heretofore, uh, his glory that he had with the Father he has clothed it and covered it in his flesh. But for these brief moments on that mountain in front of these three disciples, he reveals himself to them in a way, oh my, that they have never seen before and things that they are not going to forget. Sometimes I have to think about it. Then there are other times it just comes to me. A moment in the house of God with God's people, with an open Bible and the moving and the working of the Spirit of God. And I got to see things about Jesus that the Holy Spirit has helped me to never forget. This word he brought tonight just took a few verses out of Revelation and said, 
Look here. And all these things he showed us about the Lord. The songs we heard tonight that remind us, that remind us of the comfort of our Lord, the grace of our God, the goodness of the Lord in our life. Lord, you knew that I would fail you, but, but you love me anyway. I mean, I mean, these things will, and let me say, you say, well, you know, right now, yeah, yeah I heard it, and it, it was okay. I mean, it was a blessing. But, but it may not be that you need that particular truth tonight, but hang around. You'll need it tomorrow, or the next day, or the next week. I'll guarantee you these pastors here tonight have gotten calls or texts from people in their church and said, Preacher, you know that message you preached about three weeks ago on the grace of God? Oh, Preacher, I, didn't, I just didn't know how much I really needed that. But you know what we're going through right now, Preacher? And it's good to do this, child of God. Preacher, boy, that message is coming home to me tonight. It'd be okay if you picked up the phone someday and after you've been listening to some of these folks singing, give them a call and say, you'll never know what that song meant to me today. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, this could be a time of enlightenment for us. Sunday morning, Sunday night, even Wednesday night. Now hang with me right here. I'm trying to get to the close. It's an elevated place, it's an enlightened place, and it is an experienced place. An experienced place, if I can say that. Wonder how many times we go to church, but we don't really experience it. And I want to show you right here from the scriptures, briefly as I can, just how, how much of an experienced place. Listen, be careful. I'll be 70 year old here in about a week or so. Now, I'm not as old as some of you, but I'm older than a lot of you. I've been in a ministry 50 years. I've been at the same church 45 years. And I'm going to have to report there are a lot of things I've been through, but some things that I didn't experience it like I should have. Now, so let me help you tonight. If you listen to an old man who's not an old, old man, I'm certainly not as old as he is right here on the front pew, but... I'm just glad you moved. Hey, 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 I'm just glad you moved back on the front pew. Last time I was here, you was way back on the back. So God bless you, Brother Gary, Brother Michael. Some of y'all, God's used you to work on him and get him. I feel a little breeze of revival blowing through here tonight. Amen. I mean, you think about the things in life, folks, if I could just say this to you tonight, that, that we go through, but man, did we. I wish, Brother Joe, if I could just keep focusing on you a little bit tonight. There, there are things I'd, I'd kind of like to do over. Uh, like when my children were small and young. Vacation time. Vacation time. Now, if you've got young children, if you're not careful, let me help you with this. But you're going to get in your car and go on vacation. You've got an eight-hour drive at least, maybe a ten-hour drive. And... You're not, you're not gone from the house 30 minutes until it starts. What? The drama. The drama. And they're going to say what? We're there yet. Are we there yet? <laughs> now, 
Have you noticed how that God has helped us as parents and even, even driving the vehicle? I can chasten my child and drive the vehicle. If you, don't, if you say that one, one more time, scoot over here while I can slap you. Uh, don't do that. You just mess the whole thing. Just experience it. Just experience it. Because I'm going to tell you something. That little year-old bow or whatever is going to turn into a 15-year-old bow. And that little 15-year-old bow now, I can't get him to pay attention to me like I want him to. I mean, he's got, he's at the age now, he's a golfer. Now they're celebrating tonight, and I know what you said about golf, you need to take that back. He said, he said, he didn't golf because he was a Christian. <laughs> let me drive this, let me slap. I'm sorry, Daddy. Their team, their team won state last year. Tonight, they're getting at the football game. They're recognizing the team. They're giving them a Super Bowl ring for winning. Now, you think he's going to take a picture of that and show it to me after the game tonight to shoot me a text? No, he won't. He won't. He won't. Isn't that terrible? Maybe it's some things we didn't experience like we should have when they were young. I don't know. But, but don't, don't miss these things. Right. They're, they're things you, just, you need to ex experience it, Billy. Don't, don't let life get you by. I mean, you know. I mean, like eating. Like going to a restaurant. Don't just go and experience it. Experience it. I'd like to talk to you about several places, but I don't have time. Joe, do you remember, Brother Joe, you remember that place in Spartanburg called The Beacon? Oh, yes. Was that a place? We the Rochester, Billy, y'all remember that place? Did you ever go there, Brother Gary? Did y'all ever go to The Beacon? Man, that was a place you just had to experience it. Right there in Spartanburg, you walk in the door, and there was this gentleman standing there. Yeah, what y'all want, man? What y'all want? You ain't even had time to look at the menu. And they got a big kitchen back there. And there's a big line of people. And, and uh, you tell them what kind of burger. Okay, burger plenty, burger plenty. And you go down, by the time you get to the end, and so they, they could be 40 people in that line. They, they don't write anything down, and write, but you get to the end of the line, and your order is there, just like you ordered it. And there's a burger, big as your Bible, that thing is that big, and a pile of onion rings piled up there. I'm telling you, you didn't just eat there, you experienced it. And I've been to a few other places in life like for the first time, I went to a place today called um, Shady Maple. And he experienced it. I experienced it, didn't I? And you did too, buddy. I did. And there's another guy with us. But we can't talk about we that. We can't talk about him. Because he'd get in trouble with his wife. Yeah. He didn't and family. Her. Yeah. So don't, don't say nothing to But Delmar's still a good yeah, guy. Yeah, he's still a good guy. But don't call his name and talk about him. He'd be in trouble. I, we experienced that place. I mean, I did. I got pictures of it. I talked to people, the lady that fixed my omelet. Have you ever, is anybody here that has not been to Shady Maple? Has not been? Oh, well, you got to go. And you don't just eat, you experience it. It looks like a big church building when you go in. I thought I was on holy ground right off the bat. 
And when I got in there and saw all that good stuff, I knew I was on holy ground. I knew I had finally arrived. I could talk about that. Y'all know, you know I could talk about that. Because I could talk to you tonight also about the hot light at Krispy Kreme. Have y'all heard me talk about that before? Huh? Go, and you go by, you go by a Krispy Kreme donut plate. If the hot light's not on, don't worry about it. But if the hot light is on, you need to pull over. Now, I'm not talking about drive through. I'm talking about get out and go inside, Michael. And watch when the hot light is on. And watch those, those donuts floating down the river. And there they are. Have you seen that before? Have you seen that? Any of you ever seen that before? Get with me. Come on now. If you'll get with me, I'll get through this quick and we'll get out of here in a few minutes. But if I had to go into detail explaining this, like for instance, they're floating down the river and of course they're headed to what they call it the donut place, the glazing. But in spiritual terminology, it's the anointing. And those little babies float right down through there and they go under that anointing. And, and oh my goodness. And so I'm standing there watching through the window and I pick me out one or two and I move along with them and I'm talking to them. And they talk to me. They talk to me. And, and you know what they say to me? You know what they say to me? They say, eat me. Eat me. And you know what I say? I am. I am. And, but I won't wait till they get that, that glaze or that anointing and you say, well, why is that important? Because, well, they're fixing to go into the ministry. <laughs> Experience it. Oh, if we had time, I could really belabor that. I could, oh boy, I could really help you with that. But look, they experienced this place. Look, look what they heard. Look what they heard in verse number five. While... He yet spake, Peter, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Hear ye him. What they heard. Do you know what position that you actually ought to be in right now, everybody in this building? Now, I'm not fussing at you. I'm just trying to make a point. You ought to be leaning forward, your hand cut behind your ear, listening, listening, not just at me, but you know what, you know what they heard? The voice of God. Now, do you know what this Bible is? It is the voice. The voice of God. Look, now there are a lot of books that, that are not heard. They're thought and somebody penned them down on paper but they've never been spoken. This book has been spoken. It is the inspired. That means God breathed. God breathed. Word. So look. Oh. Sure. What? 
once ago. And you come to appreciate this book like you ought to. That's why you'll read it. That's why you'll hear it preached. Oh, my goodness. What they heard. And then, then what they felt. What they felt. Verse number seven. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. I like to go to church. I like to experience church. I'm working on this more and more in my life. I have preached it to my people. And I touched, stirred, I trust stirred their souls to wake up to the privilege of experiencing church by what we hear and in the process by what we feel. It may be that if you will experience this service before you leave here, the Lord will come up to you and touch you. I like to go to church when the Lord has touched me. And he will do that. He's still in the touching business. Huh? We still give invitations to give people opportunities to come and Get with the Lord, that the Lord, that they might hear and that they might feel his touch. Not only, not only, and I'm trying to hurry. Thank you for being patient with me. What they heard, what they felt, but wait a minute, what they saw. What did they see? It says in verse number eight, when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man. Save Jesus only. Now that's the point we have to, get to. If there is a crescendo in this service, it'll be beyond seeing Brother Joe, Brother Michael, Brother Gary, right. even beyond seeing the Rochesters, and certainly beyond seeing me. But if you can see Jesus in this service, with everything else that may be going on, they, they saw Moses and Elijah, but finally when it come down to it, the Bible says they saw no man save Jesus only. That's the way every church service ought to be, isn't it? And if you'll experience it just right, it can be. It can be. I'm thankful we have people in our church every Sunday. I know we have some. We have some when I, when I bow my head to pray, that they're going to get out. And then there are others who are going to be doing a lot of other things, getting ready to go. But there are going to be a few that are going to be standing there and they're going to sing if we sing. Or if it's an opportunity to come to the altar, they're going to come to the altar. Or they may slip down to one of the other pews where they know there's a brother or sister that's got a heavy burden and put their arm around them. And they just, they just, they have seen Jesus. They got beyond seeing everything else, and they saw Jesus. Experience the service. Experience the service. I, I wish I could say more about that. Let, 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 me, let me narrow this down, close it down. What they heard, they heard God. What they felt, a touch from Jesus. What they saw, they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus. But what they did, what they did, you know what they did? The Bible said in verse 9, and as they came down from the mountain, here's what they did. They had to leave the beauty and the splendor 
and the glory and the majesty of that mountainous moment. And they had to come down to the real world. And with everything that's been said and done here this week, thank you for bringing that old Mississippi boy up here early this week, Brother Cody Ladner. Isn't he a blessing? Man, isn't that guy a blessing? Hadn't he got a touch of God on him? His whole sweet family. Man. But you see, we have to come down from the mountain. And somebody says, go to the real world. Now, for some of us, this is the real world. If you'll take this real world with you out into that real world, you're going to be a blessing to somebody. You're going to be used of God to touch some people in a way that you couldn't have if you hadn't been on the mountain with Jesus and saw what you saw and felt what you felt and heard what you heard. But we don't have any choice. We're going to have to leave out and we're going to have to go down out into the world around us for the cause of Christ. Whether it's to the mission fields or to work or to school, to the business, wherever it is. Well, I'll just close by saying this. Elevated place, enlightened place, experienced place, but but, uh, uh, an expressed place. An expressed. While Peter said it, Lord, (laughs) it's good. It's good for us to be here. Have you expressed that lately? You're going to be good. It'd be good to say it to your pastors. It'd be good. It'd be good to say it to your Sunday school teachers. It'd be good to say it to your youth leaders. It'd be good when you're around the missionaries to say to them, it's good. Sir, it'd be good to say that to your wife in front of your children. Honey, wasn't it good to be here today? Instead of going home from the mountaintop with complaints or frustrations or grumbling. Well, I thought it was hot in there today. Well, I thought it was cold in there today. Well, I thought it went a little long. Well, I didn't think this. I went all of the, No, what about what if we got in our cars, our automobiles, and on the way home or on the way to lunch Sunday, and we said it to our spouses, we said it to our children, it was good to be here today. That's developing a, a very positive mindset in the hearts and the minds of people you right now currently influence. Do, do you know what the devil wants to do? And we all know, all of us know, old folks, middle-aged, young, we all know. And we live in a world that's not like it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, in every way, secular, uh, every way, but also in the spiritual realm and in the church. And this chain that lasted for a long time in our churches, and we passed truths and good traditions, not bad traditions, not just old man made junky traditions, but good traditions like preaching, like singing, like choir, uh, offerings and giving, a lot of good traditions. 
But I'll tell you what the devil's trying to get us to do. And he's trying to break that chain. He's trying to break that chain. Where mamas and daddies here tonight get it. You know what it is to be in a Holy Ghost service. You know what it is to be stirred in a good way for God. But the devil would love to break that chain. It's up to you moms and dads and grandparents. Make sure. And all I got to do is break one link. One link. Let's make sure the devil doesn't do that here at this great church. I'm trying to make sure it doesn't happen in our church. There's some things that we just need to keep on keeping on with. So that we can come in here. Can we stand tonight? Can we stand? Let's just stand. Could you say tonight? Would you say? It's good to be here. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. Why? Well, because of what you heard tonight. When you heard the word preached, some testimonies given maybe as we heard from the missionary, boy, it was like hearing the voice of God. Huh. What, what you heard, what you felt. It's as though the Lord sometimes will come by and just put his arm around you. Sure. I mean, I've seen that happen, haven't you? How many of you have seen that before? How many of you felt that? Help me tonight. Help me. We're trying to close. Help me, help me. I got a little couple back home whose little baby just had surgery this week, little Cooper. He's not six months old. But he was born with a cleft foot, club foot. And his other leg just come down to his knee. And his internal organs were all external. And his spine, they're going to have to do multiple surgeries on his spine. Just a couple of weeks before little Emily went in to have him, they stood in the pulpit and they sang, her and him, the dad, BJ, and her with little Cooper in her womb. And they sang, God is good. God is good. And I saw the Lord touch them that night. And I saw the Lord touch a lot of people that night. Through then. Sometimes it's what we see, sometimes it's what we hear, sometimes it's what we feel. But it all results in now what are we going to do? Let's take it out there to the world. This world desperately needs God. And their only contact for many of them is me and you. So true. Amen. Brother Michael. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great 
It was my sin 